open to the book of John, John chapter 19. And you're all going, wow, the heat really got to him this morning. I, I got it. We're good. You'll be all right. John chapter 19. Look at verse 40. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with spices, in the bur- as is the burial custom of the Jews. And now the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, on account of the Jewish day of preparation, because the tomb was nearby, they laid him there. Then, chapter 20, verse 1, white space, chapter 20, verse 1, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Tonight, as you already can see, we're not going back to the book of Romans. Um, we'll do that, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks. We're not going to meet next uh, Lord's Day evening, right, because we have the, the picnic. But there have been two questions that have been asked me along the way over the last few weeks in our study related to John. And part of uh, one of the questions is found here in uh, the text. Um, I guess both of them perhaps have some allusion here uh, to to the text that I just read. Uh, The first question is, what is the Lord's Day? Why why do we call it that? What what does that mean? Why do we worship on Sunday? And and the second uh, question is, what happened to Jesus uh, after he died before the resurrection? And that's why I drew attention to the white space, because that's where it happens between the end of verse 42 and the beginning of John chapter 20, verse 1. That's where all that happens. So... Um, what I thought was originally, I thought I'd take a little bit of time uh, tonight and try to address both of, the, both of those issues. Uh, the first question is actually a lot easier to answer than the second. And as I considered the second question, it's rather complex. And I don't think I can answer both of them in one evening and do either one of them justice. Uh, the question, again, the second question is, where was Jesus for the three days uh, between his death and, and uh, resurrection? It's an important question. It really has some interesting and important theological, practical implications that I think could be a real encouragement to us. Theologically, it's known as the doctrine of the descent. And good men line up on both sides of the issue, uh, meaning agreeing and disagreeing that it's actually a biblical doctrine. But give me, I'll give you the most concise manner, a definition of the doctrine of consent. It's this, the teaching that, that generally has been understood to mean that after the physical death of Jesus, his soul really went to Sheol, that is the place of the dead, where his victory over Satan's sin and the grave were all announced. His victory was declared to the spirits in prison from the days of Noah and the righteous dead saw for the first time the object of their faith, namely their victorious savior. And on the third day, he left the realm of the dead, ascended to be reunited with his body and then resurrected from the grave. Now, I think it's an important issue to consider Again, I think what it does is it teaches us that at the death of Christ, he personally and thoroughly experienced death just as every human being does. Uh, Again, he lived a real life. He died a real death. He experienced everything that is connected uh, with death. Now, we don't know what it's like to die. Therefore, again, there's a certain sense of fear of the unknown. But the fear gives way to confidence when we know that whatever happened to us or whatever happens to us when we die... Jesus has been there already. Jesus has been there first, right? We're going to walk the same path that he has already walked. Therefore, we can have confidence in the faith of death that already Jesus has been there and he's defeated death on our behalf. 
Now, his, his nature uh, helps us understand that because he's eternal God and uh, a real man. It's, uh, theologically, it's known as the hypostatic union, uh, meaning that Jesus is the only person to ever have two real natures, uh, truly human, truly divine. And again, that gives us great confidence that not only in life, but also in death, Jesus has been there before us. He's conquered the grave, therefore likewise so shall we who have repented and believed upon Christ. It's a very encouraging uh, doctrine. It's a very um, interesting doctrine. It's a secondary doctrine. Again, men, men divide over this. I don't think they should divide, but they line up on both sides over the issue. I, I think it deserves careful attention and it can, uh, really needs a considerable amount of time. I tried to try to jam it in here, but I thought, I, I just can't do it justice. So uh, I, I'm gonna set it aside for the moment. So I just gave you a tease on what's coming next. Uh, sometime in the future, I wanna address this issue because I think it's kind of a fascinating uh, issue. I've uh, read a few guys uh, in the last few months on it, put the stuff aside, and when I came here, uh, I thought I'd uh, perhaps address it. I bought a book, uh, which I often do, as I always buy books and try to, to read up on, on the issue. But, but I think I'm going to wait. So what, what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to ask, answer the question, the first question, the Lord's Day. Right? What, what, is the means, the, what does that mean, the Lord's Day? Well, why do we worship on Sunday? And, and, and unfortunately, there's a lot of confusion over the question that really shouldn't be there, because I think you can open the text of Scripture and, and come to an answer that is helpful and biblical. O, over the last 19 years, this is the start of my 19th year here, and, and uh, ever since I've been here, we've always met on Sunday. And a long, long time before I ever came here, I think this church met on Sunday. In fact, you can look back to the history of the church all the way back to the New Testament times, and the church always met on Sunday. And, and, and you go all over the world and, and wherever you're at, whether North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, Australia, that's where they, that's when they meet. They, they stop, the church comes and meets together and worships, worships on Sunday. Uh, a few weeks back, we sent a group of people to Japan, and guess when they worshiped together corporately? On Sunday. It's okay. I'll try to help you out so you can answer the test question, right? They worshiped on Sunday. Every time I've gone to Russia, guess what day we meet as the church? We meet on Sunday. That's good. You're getting it, right? So we, the church has always met corporately on Sunday. Uh, the church that doesn't... Uh, now, the, the church doesn't meet for corporate worship on Tuesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday. Uh, since the beginning of the church, the church has gathered together uh, on Sunday. Now, there are a number of people out there in the uh, quote-unquote Christian world, I guess, a number of people who argue that the church must worship on Saturday only. And if you don't worship on Saturday, if you don't keep what they consider as the Sabbath, then you can't be saved and you're not a true Christian. Have you ever come across any of those kind of people? Because they're out there, right? Uh, uh, the, the argument goes, if, if you're worshiping any other day of the week other than Saturday, then you're not worshiping God properly. You're worshiping God incorrectly. And, and that's a tremendous misunderstanding of, of Scripture. Uh, first off, as New Testament believers, listen to me, we don't have a Sabbath. As New Testament believers, we don't have a Sabbath. The Old Testament Sabbath of Moses is no longer binding or in effect because the Lord Jesus Christ crushed the Mosaic Sabbath and all of its laws when he came up out of the grave after uh, and during Calvary's cross. The Sabbath of the Mosaic Covenant is no longer in effect. And the Mosaic Covenant itself, or the Old Covenant, is no longer in effect. Right? Christ said we are now in the New Covenant. Right? That's why Paul says in Colossians 2.16, he says, therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to the uh, food or drink or respect to festival or new moon or Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, 
but the substance belongs to Christ. So again, the old covenant has been completely set aside and in its places, the new covenant ratified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the issue of the, uh, of the Old Testament Sabbath is a very interesting one, and it's been a number of years, maybe like, I don't know, 16 years or something like that, uh, last time we, we looked at it. And I think we might do a study on it sometime in the future. I, I don't know when, don't, don't hold your breath, but we might look at it because it's kind of interesting. The Sabbath that originally was initiated in the book of Genesis uh, on Saturday is the day that God set aside and blessed and memorialized that day to, for men to remember him as the creator of the universe. That in six literal 24-hour days, he created everything. On the seventh day, he rested from all that he had done. There's nothing in the Genesis account referring to the Sabbath that, uh, um, that it was set aside for man to rest or that it was for man's interest. Uh, because again, at that time, the world's already in a state of rest because the fall doesn't happen until Genesis chapter three. So God set aside the seventh day so men could enjoy the creation that God had given him uh, as he again tended the garden and so on. Now the overall issue surrounding the Sabbath of uh, Moses when you come to the book of Exodus was not just the setting aside of one day, but in reality with the Sabbath, there was a whole set of rules and regulations and feasts and festivals and new moon observances, as I just read out of the book of Colossians, that went along with it, that really needed to be kept if somebody was going to properly, quote unquote, keep the Sabbath and, and abide by Sabbath law. But, but again, the whole Mosaic law uh, was a system that has not only been done away with, but the whole Mosaic law, listen carefully, uh, was not set up so men could accomplish it. It was really set up to show men their inability their utter inability because of their sin to obey God. And one of the requirements of the Sabbath law, the Mosaic Sabbath law, is that you couldn't go anywhere. Uh, you can read it for yourself, Exodus chapter 16, verse 29. You couldn't go anywhere. You had to stay home. So the Sabbath of Moses that people try to promote in the day that once we live was never set up as a day of corporate worship where everybody would go around and gather, as again, the modern Sabbatarians would try to have you believe as they're trying to either quote-unquote keep the Sabbath or turn Sunday into the quote-unquote Christian Sabbath, to turn the day into something it was never initially intended to do as a day of worship, again with a whole set of rules and regulations. All you could do under the Sabbath observance of Moses and the Mosaic Law, all you could do is sit around and contemplate your condition, contemplate your inability as a sinner before God to perfectly obey Him. Couldn't go out, couldn't leave your home. All you could do is sit and be reminded of the fact that you could not keep the law properly. You were a lawbreaker and you're desperately in need of someone to save you. So the Mosaic Sabbath law and all that came with it uh, really crushed man. Uh, again, it was so intricate, so many rules, so many regulations, so many routines and, uh, to keep that it was really impossible. And, and the reality is no man kept the Sabbath. And the reality is no man kept the Sabbath and the reality is no man keeps the Sabbath. Uh, even though, again, you look around, you find a great number of men Today, today are trying to convince us that we need to keep and observe the Sabbath uh, if we're going to have a right relationship with God. And, and along with that, along, along the same line, probably the same kind of people, same kind of uh, thinking, uh, they will come along and, and tell you that Constantine is the guy who messed the whole system up, right? When the Roman Catholic, when the, when the early church was taken over, Roman Catholic capture, if you will, uh, of the church, it was Constantine that perverted the Lord's Day and changed it without any kind of biblical authority from uh, Saturday to Sunday. 
and that Sunday is nothing more than the worship of a pagan deity and really has nothing whatsoever to do with the Bible. That's what they would say. So let me just read a little uh, clip for you, a little couple of sentences here from a so-called uh, quote-unquote internet theologian. And just a warning in advance, you should laugh, yes, just a warning in advance, there's a tremendous amount of misinformation, right? Newsflash, there's a tremendous amount of misinformation uh, on the internet. And many of these so-called uh, self-professed theologians and, uh, on their websites and podcasts ad nauseum uh, are everywhere. And, and they, what they do is they misuse the Bible and they try to proof text issues uh, that they are uh, their hobby horse issues or, or whatever, trying to prove points that really are theologically and biblically inaccurate. So let me just give you a, a couple lines here from one. This writer says this, there's not the slightest hint in the New Testament that the Sabbath has changed or abolished. In the book of Acts, it records that the apostles kept the Sabbath very regularly. The Sabbath in the 20th century is the same day of the week as the Sabbath in Jesus's day. Luke wrote his gospel years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. If the Sabbath had been changed, why didn't Luke write a statement to that effect after he had written that the followers of Jesus rested on the Sabbath? There's nothing anywhere in the New Testament that says that Jesus or his apostles changed the Sabbath to the first day of the week or to any other day. And since those who receive God's last uh, day's seal are those who keep the Sabbath day holy, uh, they will be following the instructions of the scripture that we observe the seventh day as a day of rest and worship. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. He says this, how, how could anyone who claims to love Jesus refuse to keep his commandments? And when you have true faith in Christ, you will not argue about whether it's convenient to keep the, the holy Sabbath day. We will do it because Jesus asks us to. Our Sabbath keeping will be the result of the evidence of our faith in him. We'll observe the seventh day as a memorial of creation and a sign of Christ's work of sanctification in our hearts. He loves you with an infinite love and will not stop pleading until you surrender all to him and agree to follow him all the way that includes keeping his seventh, his seventh day Sabbath holy. I mean, it just goes on and on. Here we go, write this down, two rules. Rule number one, get your theology from the Bible, okay? Rule number one, get your theology from the Bible. Rule number two, get your theology from dead people, right? This guy was alive when he wrote all this stuff. Most of the modern people today uh, who are not dead are not worth reading. Most of the books that are written today, theologically, quote unquote, are gonna be thrown into the burn pile because most of them are not worth reading. You need to get your theology from people who've been vetted over time by the church that they're actually understanding the text of scripture because again the, the, the scripture has been out there for a while but there's all these self-professed theological experts uh, on, on the internet and most of them are not helpful everything you read everything that you understand or try to understand theologically has to have its origin in the bible the bible is the standard and again god has given to the church gifted men and gifted teachers who are helpful and faithful to the word and give clear understanding of the text by what it says and so again everywhere you find truth you're also going to find error uh, because there's much at stake in the issue of men's souls. Uh, the enemy of man's souls always working hard to try to confuse the masses of people and to confuse the message, especially if you go and get your theology off of the internet. So here's my advice. Put down your mouse, put down the book you're reading, and pick up your Bible. Pick up your Bible, make sure that you have a good working knowledge of the Scripture first, and then, you un then when you understand what God's Word has to say, and you've got some issues and you need some clarification, then you can turn to some uh, commentaries that are trusted and well-respected. 
But again, be aware that the reality, even among good men, that everyone's fallible and everyone has blind spots somewhere in their theology. So again, we have to be very careful what we read and we have to check everything against the scripture. The scripture is the standard. The word of God is the standard. Now, there is a certain sense in which the Sabbath of the Old Testament that's found out in the, found originally back in the book of Genesis is in still effect. And it's, it's in effect like this. Every Saturday you can go outside and enjoy God's creation. Every Saturday you can go outside and enjoy God's goodness for the, uh, the creation and, and, and uh, that he has given you to enjoy. He's made the world and the world's beautiful. It's things for us to go out and see and go for a walk, climb a tree, swim in a river, whatever you want to do, and enjoy the creation that God made for men uh, to, uh, uh, to enjoy. But as a binding day that is demanded of corporate worship for the church to gather together, it was never intended to have that meaning. Again, the whole Old Testament and Mosaic economy has been completely set aside under the New Covenant. The New Covenant has come in. It's been ratified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and everything has changed because of Christ in the world, because of his sacrifice on the cross. And because of Christ in the world, because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, no longer do men keep their distance as once they did under the Mosaic system from God. Right? I mean, the mountain is a pretty scary place to be. There's lightning and thunder and don't come near, don't step on it or else, right? So men are at a distance under that system. But now because of Christ, because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he bids men to come near, to come close to the, to the throne of grace to find mercy in men's time of need. So access to God was given through the sacrifice, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, remember when Christ died, what happened to the veil of the temple? The veil of the temple separating man from the holy and holies. What happened to the veil of the temple? Torn from, right, top to the bottom, right? Exposing the holy of holies. It's a picture physically demonstrating that we now, have, because of Christ, have access to the person of God. So again, the new covenant is a new system. It's a new day. We have direct access because of Christ to God's mercy, to his grace. Uh, we're not under law, we're not under condemnation, we're not under fear, but we're under mercy, under grace, under God's eternal love. Again, that's why Paul says, Colossians 2.16, Therefore let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or new moon or Sabbath day, the things which are a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So don't run back to the, to the shadow. It's really sad over the time that I've been here, I've seen a number of people do that very thing. Very thing. They run back to the, sub, to the shadow. For some reason, they think there's something that is of value to them into the Mosaic system, so they run back under that bondage. The, the, the scriptural command would be run to Christ, right? Don't run to the shadow, run to the substance. The substance is here, run to Christ. We're no longer under the Mosaic economy. Now, there are no more dietary laws. There are no more Sabbath laws. There are no more laws concerning our observances of feasts or festivals or new moons, etc. We, we are absolutely not under any Sabbath regulations. Therefore, again, when the seventh day comes, when Saturday comes, it's not that we don't want to pay attention to it. It's just that we don't want to go back to the Mosaic system and observe it and understand it from that perspective. We can go all the way back to when it was first uh, initiated back in the book of Genesis and enjoy the seventh day uh, again as God memorialized that day and set it apart to remember him as the creator of the universe. And that's it, period. So now why do we worship on Sunday? Right? Have we all been fooled by some kind of conspiracy? Are we all wrong? And this minority of people are the one, this select few uh, group of individuals, are they right? The answer is we worship together on Sunday because that's what the Bible teaches. It's what the Bible teaches is they have worship under the new covenant. 
Now, if you don't have a Bible, you need to pick up a pew Bible because we're going to turn to a number of verses, and you're going to have to move quick with me, all right? I'll try to keep, keep you uh, 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 with me, but I, I'm not going to wait a long time, so uh, there, there's a lot to look at. So begin by turning to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. The text says, now after the Sabbath. We're going to stop right there as you're flipping to that page, because I want to get our bearings. I want to make sure we're all on the same day. The Sabbath is what day? Saturday. Seventh day of the week. Now, I, I was never very good at math, but the first day of the week, right? The first day after Saturday is uh, Sunday, right? Right, we good? Right, I'm good. Plus one, Saturday, Sunday, got it. So now after the Sabbath, it began to dawn towards the first day of the week. So what we're looking at is what's happening on Sunday. Here we go. After the first day of the week, it began to dawn, uh, as a, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, his garment was white as snow, and guards shook for fear of him, and became <coughs> like, a, like dead men. The angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going to you, uh, before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb uh, with fear and great joy and ran to report this to the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them and came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take the word to my brethren uh, 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 to leave for Galilee, and there they shall see me. Now, if we were detectives trying to figure this whole thing out, trying to uh, figure out why in the world do we worship on Sunday, I would suggest that the first ten verses of this chapter give you three things, three points of evidence that you should pay attention to. Now, the day after the Sabbath... As it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, again, we're on Sunday, right? What did they do? Right? After Jesus had been crucified and then buried, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Mary, who's the mother of James, they come to the grave of Jesus. Stone has been rolled away. A great earthquake has happened. There's an angel of the Lord sitting uh, there on, on the stone with the message that Jesus, whom they were looking for, is not here. Why is that? He's risen from the dead. Again, verse 6, he's not here. He's risen just as he said, come see the place where he's laying and go quickly and tell his disciples he is risen from the dead and behold, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So again, Sunday morning, not Saturday, but Sunday morning, Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. So on the first day of the week, you have the resurrection. The angel told them to go tell the disciples what had happened and on their way, they have an interesting encounter. They meet somebody. Who is it that they meet? They meet Jesus, right? They meet the resurrected Christ. Again, verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word of my brethren uh, to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. So here we have on Sunday morning, not Saturday, on Sunday morning, we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week. 
And on the first day of the week, we have the resurrected Christ coming to meet these women. Again, verse 9, Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And after meeting the resurrected Christ, we have a worship service, right? They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshiped him. Not on Tuesday, not on Thursday, not on Saturday, but this is the first day of the week, Sunday. He rose from the dead, he appeared, he came to the women, and then they worshiped him. Now turn over to Mark, Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Mark 16, verse 1. And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome <coughs> uh, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Verse 2. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb uh, where, the, where the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone uh, for us to the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled away, and uh, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, uh, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. He said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he said to you. And they went out and fled from the tomb uh, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Verse nine. Now, after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. So remember, we're, we're gathering evidence as kind of good detectives here. Uh, Mark is the second witness we brought to the stand, and he's confirming it's not Saturday morning, but it's Sunday morning, right? That Jesus is not dead, but Jesus has risen. Jesus rose from the dead, from the grave on, on the first day of the week. And again, it's interesting here that Mark adds the word appeared, right? Christ himself was who first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he cast out seven demons, verse 10. She said... Uh, she went and reported <clears throat> to those who had been with him uh, while they were mourning and weeping. And then they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her. They refused to believe it. Verse 12, and after that, here it is, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along their way to the country. And they went away and reported it to others, but they did not believe them either. Verse 14, afterward, he appeared uh, to the 11 themselves as they were clanging at the table and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. So it's on Sunday, not Saturday. He's not dead, but he's risen. And he has appeared not once, but he's appeared three different times. Three different times to three different groups of people. Mary and Mary have also entered into a worship service uh, concerning the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, according to Matthew. So Sunday, he's risen from the dead. And then Jesus appears three different times to three different groups of people. They have a worship service, and now they're going to have a commissioning service. They're going to have a commissioning service, verse 15, Mark 16, verse 15. And he said to them, <clears throat> go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. 
Turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 1. Luke says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared. I wonder why he's put the word but there. But on the first day of the week, early in dawn, they came to the tomb. Well, go back up to Luke chapter 23 and verse 50. Luke 23, verse 15. 50, 5-0. And behold, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council and a good and righteous man, he had not consented to the, their plan in action, <clears throat> a man from Arimathea, the city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And again, Christ has been crucified and he's about to be buried. Verse 53. They took it down, the body, right? They took, he took uh, it down and wrapped it in linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever been laid. And it was the preparation day, again, which is Friday. It's the day before the Sabbath. And the Sabbath, again, Saturday, was about to begin. Now the woman who had come with him out of Galilee followed after him and saw the tomb and how the body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath day they rested according to the command. But, chapter 24, verse 1, but on the first day of the week at early dawn they came to the tomb to bring spices to which were prepared. So we, we know why it is that he says, but in verse 1 here of 20, verse 24, he's trying to help us understand very simply that we are again, we've moved on. We're not on the Sabbath, we're on the first day of the week. Nothing took place on the Sabbath. Uh, there was no anointing of the body, right? They were still in, at this time, observance of the Mosaic Sabbath law. But, verse 1, on the first day of the week, at early dawn they came to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4, And it happened that when they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel, and the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. And the man said, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. First day of the week, Sunday, the resurrected Lord. The verse continues, Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise again. And they remembered his words and re returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now there were Mary Magdalene and, and Joanna and Mary and the mother of James also with other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. <clears throat> and verse 11 and these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. Verse 12, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping, looking in, and saw the linen wrappings only, when he went away home, marveling at what had happened. So first day, first day of the week, which is Sunday, right? It's not, not Saturday. First day of the week, the Lord has risen early. All right? And why is the reason? Why, why has the Lord Jesus risen from the dead? It's really great, because in, in Romans chapter uh, uh, 4, verse 25, He's, the text there says he's risen because of our justification. He was delivered up because of our transgression. He was raised because of our justification. And before the Lord Jesus went to the cross, you remember the night when he was betrayed, he institutes the Lord's Supper in a remembrance of what he's about to do, of the giving of his life, the giving of his body, his blood, again, which is just a representation of uh, him pouring out his life. And what did he say the night he was betrayed? He took the Passover, turned to the first Lord's Supper. He said, what? This is the 
new covenant in my blood. And Saturday was dead, right? Friday's dead, Saturday, uh, Friday's crucified, and Saturday he's dead, on Sunday he's risen. He conquers sin and death itself. He comes up from the grave having been the sin bearer uh, for those who will believe. He's been raised because of our justification. So on the Sunday, on Sunday, the first day of the week, that becomes New Covenant Day. That becomes New Covenant Day. Saturday was the Sabbath. Sunday is New Covenant Day. Sunday becomes the Lord's Day. Sunday becomes the day of the, the resurrection, the resurrection day. So when we come together each and every Sunday, uh, the fact is each and every Sunday we meet is a remembrance of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And when Christ died, the Sabbath law died. When Christ, uh, when Christ defeated death and rose, a new day dawned in a new era that is called the New Covenant. So we have the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on the first day of the week. We have the uh, Lord Jesus appearing to these ladies on the first day of the week. We have a worship service on the first day of the week. We have a commissioning service on the first day of the week. We have another appearing on the first day of the week. Again, all on the same day, first day of the week, all on Sunday, not Saturday. Saturday, Christ is dead in the grave. But on Sunday, he's bringing new life to those who believe. Verse 13 of Luke 24. And behold, two of them are going uh, that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with one another and all the things that had taken place. Verse 15 came about while they were conversing and discussing. Jesus approached and began traveling with them. Verse 16 says, But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him, and they said to him, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another? Uh, he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. Verse 18, And one of them, a man named Clopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things that have been happening here in these days? He said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who is uh, the prophet, mighty in deed and word, in sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And indeed, uh, besides all of this, it's the third day since all these things happened. Behold, some of the women of us, among us, uh, uh, some of the women uh, amazed us when they were in the tomb early in the morning. They did not find the body. And they came saying that he had also uh, seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman and the women had also said, but they did not. Uh, but him they did not see. Verse twenty-five. And he, it's Jesus. He said to them, "O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them." things concerning him and all the scripture. And you stop right there. What just happened? Very much. Thank you. First New Testament sermon, right? First New Testament sermon. And what's the topic? The person of Jesus Christ. What kind of a sermon was it? Was it some kind of conversational dialogue from a bar stool? Answer, no. It was an exposition. Right? Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself from all the scripture. He explained. The word means to unfold the meaning of what was said. Explain, expound. I guess, look, what's not there? There's no jokes. There's no cute stories. 
Uh, there's nobody wandering around the, the uh, platform and everybody else wondering what in the world this person is doing who's wandering around the platform, right? And what in the world are they talking about? And it was a very clear exposition of the, of the Bible. Just a straightforward explanation of the meaning of the text. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. So from death to life, from uh, an, a, a appearing personally, a worship service, a commissioning service, more appearing, and now a sermon on the first day of the week. As far as my understanding, uh, for the Jews, for the Jewish calendar, Sunday was just the first day of the week was just the first day of the week. There's nothing special about it because the Sabbath was Saturday. So now the old covenant is gone. A new covenant is just beginning. The Mosaic Sabbath and all the laws associated with it are no longer valid because Christ is alive from the dead. His blood ratified the new covenant. And Sunday is becoming a very special day. And listen, Constantine nor the Roman Catholic Church has anything to do with it whatsoever. Verse 28, they approached the village where they were going and acted as though they would go further and he uh, acted as though he would go further and they urged him saying stay with us listen stay with us for it's getting towards evening and the day is nearly over and they went to stay with him came about that when he had reclined at the table with them and took bread and blessed it breaking it began giving it to them verse 31 and their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight verse 32 they said to one another were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road and while he was explaining the scripture to us. You know what? That's what good preaching does. Good preaching always excites the heart. It informs the mind. It excites the heart and it leads to action. Because these guys were on their road to Emmaus. They were going a certain direction. But now all of a sudden they have an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And it causes them to change their plans completely. Verse 33. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. So they make a complete turnaround. They're going to go the opposite direction, right? They're going to go back to where they've come from. They're going to go all the way back to Jerusalem. Verse 33 continues, And found gathered together the eleven who, and, and those who are with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experience on, on the road and how he, had rec they, uh, how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Verse 36, While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst, but they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Verse 39, see my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said these things, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while he still uh, could not believe it for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, he said to them, do you have anything to, here to eat? And, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And they took it, uh, he took it and ate it before them. Uh, again, he said, look, touch me, right? I'm real physical flesh and blood. Touch my hands, touch my feet. Spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I do. And the spirit doesn't need anything to eat, but I do. And he got something to eat, right? So they gave him a piece of fish. Why is that? Because the Lord had a real body and he really died. And the Lord really raised from the dead. Flesh and bones, just like they. And he ate. Verse 44, now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understanding the scripture and he said to them, thus it is written that the Lord Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day 
and that for that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now stop right there. What just happened? First evening worship service. <laughs> right? Isn't that what I said in verse 39? That's why, that's why I gave you the hint, right? It's getting towards evening. First evening worship service, same day. It's a very long day. But here are the, in the evening. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared to Mary. He's uh, appeared to many. He's been worshipped in the morning. He's expanded the scripture. And now for the second time on Sunday, the person of Jesus Christ opens the scripture, right? He opens their minds so they might understand the scripture. And again, they have a commissioning service. Again, the Great Commission. Verse 48, your witnesses uh, of these things. And behold, I am sending you forth from the promise uh, of my Father, or forth uh, uh, the promise of my Father upon you that you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So look, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He led them out, verse 50, as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them and came about while they were blessing them. He parted uh, from them and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continuing in the temple praising God. Matthew, Mark, Luke. What's the next one? John. You guys are good. Okay, how about John? John chapter 20. What does John say? John 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came over to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone was already taken from the tomb. She ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went forth with the other disciple uh, and the other disciple, and they were going to, the, going to the tomb, and the two were running together, and the other disciple ran faster uh, than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter therefore also came following him and entered in the tomb and beheld the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciples, the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered in also and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciple went again, uh, uh, the disciples went again their way to their own homes. Verse 11, but Mary standing outside the tomb, weeping, so she, and uh, weeping, and as so, she wept, she stooped, and looked into the tomb. She beheld two angels uh, in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, I do not know where they have laid him. Verse 14, when she said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there, and she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned uh, and said to him in the Hebrew, Rabboni, which means uh, teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut uh, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, 
Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them both hands and his side. And the disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins uh, have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. First day of the week, resurrection. First day of the week, appearances to the women. Uh, on the evening of the first day of the week, commissioning service uh, to take the gospel to all the nations. Uh, the promise uh, to send and receive the person of the Holy Spirit uh, who will empower them all on the first day of the week. Verse 24, but Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. This is what happened when you miss Sunday evening. You miss Jesus. That's reality. You miss Jesus when you don't come on Sunday evening. Because we meet Jesus every Sunday evening, do we not, in the pages of Scripture. When you don't come, you miss Jesus. Verse 25, the other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. He said to them, Unless I shall see his hands and the imprints of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse 26. And after eight days. Now the Jewish way of counting days is to start with the day you're in. So eight days later, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday's eight days later. After eight days, again, his disciples are inside, and Thomas is now with them. Jesus comes into the room, the doors having been shut. He stands in their midst, and he says, Peace be with you. So here again, Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. There was a worship service on Sunday. He appeared to a variety of people on Sunday. He gave a commissioning service on Sunday. He preached an expositional sermon from the Scripture on Sunday, twice, morning and evening. He promised to send the Holy Spirit on Sunday. Maybe I'm starting to see a pattern. A week later on Sunday, he appeared to Thomas, who had not been there the last Sunday evening, which again is a rebuke to you if you don't make a habit of returning on Sunday night on a regular basis. Verse 27, he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand, put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. Many of the signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life in his name. Who decided to have this meeting? Answer, Jesus did, right? They were in the room, room's locked. He comes to meet them. Jesus decides to have this meeting. He's the one who appeared on this Sunday. He appeared on the first Sunday. He's appeared on this Sunday, a week later. Wasn't men or councils. Wasn't the apostles. Wasn't the disciples. Wasn't Constantine or anybody else. It was not the church. It was not the decision of the church. It was none other than the person of Jesus Christ himself who decided to meet with his church on Sunday. Now, I think, just uh, taking a shot in the dark here, I think there might be something special to the Lord Jesus Christ himself about this day called Sunday. Turn over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. 
And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and, that, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And where they appeared, uh, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to one another in tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, just like Jesus had promised, uh, he sent the Holy Spirit here at the beginning of the church. Now, when did Jesus send the Holy Spirit? Answer, on the day of Pentecost. She goes, well, what does that have to do with our story? Well, the question is answered uh, by asking, when was the day of Pentecost? If you go back and uh, looked in, in Leviticus 23, verse 15, that says there, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall present a grain offering or a new grain uh, uh, or offering of new grain to the Lord. So seven full weeks after the Sabbath day, Sabbath day Saturday, 50 days after, right? Seven full weeks, seven times seven, uh, carry the one, 49, right? 41? 49. Plus one is what? 50. Seven weeks after Saturday plus one day is what? Seven Sabbaths, seven weeks plus one day. The next day would be Sunday. So the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of, uh, 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 of Weeks sometimes, it's called Pentecost, was always on what day? Sunday. Christ sends the Holy Spirit on Sunday. What else happened on Sunday? Well, if you read on in chapter 2, uh, you'll see that Peter preached a pretty good sermon uh, about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and what happened there. 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people converted and baptized that very same day on Sunday. So again, I think a definite plan, uh, a definite pattern is emerging. Christ rose from the dead on Sunday. Christ appeared to many on Sunday. There was a worship service on Sunday. He met with his people on Sunday. Christ preached two expositionals expositional sermons on Sunday. Christ gave a great, the Great Commission on Sunday. Christ sent the Holy Spirit on Sunday, and the church was born on Sunday. Sounds like a conspiracy theory to me, right? So when someone comes up to you and says, well, there's nothing anywhere in the New Testament that says Jesus or his apostles changed the Sabbath to the first day of the week or to any other day, and how could anyone who claims to love Jesus refuse to keep his commandments and fail to keep the seventh day holy, you can say most graciously... I don't think you have a clue what you're talking about. Because they don't. So listen, it's not men who are trying to make Sunday something special. It's the person of Jesus Christ himself. It's the person of Jesus Christ himself who's establishing the first day of the week as something that is special to him that points exclusively to him. It's men who are trying to make another day special Men who do not understand the new covenant times in which we live and trying to turn Saturday into something that it never was that would be a corporate day of worship, a corporate day of assembly and worship. Something, again, they wrongly believe that is binding upon the New Testament church. Now, as you read through the rest of the New Testament, you see that pattern continue to unfold. Acts chapter 20, verse 6, we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days, and there we stayed seven days. So Troas is a Gentile church. That is being established. I wonder when they met. I want you to see this. Acts chapter 20. You're going to be in great anticipation. When did they meet? Acts chapter 20, verse 7.
on the first day of the week when they were gathered together to break bread. It wasn't on Tuesday. It wasn't on Thursday. It most certainly wasn't on Saturday. But it was the first day of the week on Sunday. On the first day of the week when they were gathered together to break bread. So Paul's beginning to talk to them. Going to depart the next day. And here's my favorite portion of a verse anywhere in the Bible. He prolonged his message until midnight. I told my wife the other day, I literally told my wife the other day as we were driving to the airport, I said, you can put that on my tomb if you want. Okay? Proof text for lengthy sermons, right? Amen. When Jesus, I had you turn there for no other reason except to tell you that. So, yeah, you already knew it was the first day of the week. But I wanted you to see that part, right? When Jesus, when Paul's giving direction to the church, right? When to take collection for the poor in Jerusalem, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2. On the first day of the week, let every one of you put aside and save as, uh, as may prosper, to, that no collections be made when I come. Uh, and one more out of the book of the Revelation. Uh, when John uh, ha- has a message, uh, Revelation 1, verse 4, seven, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was and who is and who is to come and from the seven spirits who were before his throne. I wonder when all this takes place, verse 9 of Revelation chapter 1, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker of the tribulation, the kingdom perseverance which are in Jesus, which is on the island called Patmos on, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day. So again, it seems to me the Lord's Day is something that is established very well by the Lord himself. The Lord's Day is something that is established on Sunday, not Saturday. And it seems to me that we'd probably be better off if we called the Lord's Day by its name, the Lord's Day, and not Sunday. We don't worship on the day after Saturday to worship the sun. We, we, we come on that day to worship the Lord. It's the Lord's Day. We worship the one who created the sun, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who conquered death the one who rose from the dead and very much claimed that day to be a a day of remembrance of him. So the Lord's day is not like the Mosaic Sabbath where we're crushed under the weight of the law. Rather, the Lord's day is the day that we come together and worship him and celebrate him, celebrate his his grace, celebrate his uh, mercy to us. And again, it's the Lord who established this day. So again, when you ask the question, why do we worship on this day? The answer is because this is the day the Lord Jesus himself set aside to remember him. Now, it doesn't mean we can't gather and worship together on any other day of the week. We should. Uh, we can worship God whenever we choose. Uh, we can worship God every single day of the week. But most certainly, this first day of the week has been set aside as a pattern of Christ himself as a special day of corporate worship uh, of him. Now, when I say that, there probably needs to be a few uh, issues that are ancillary to this that I probably need to at least address to some extent as far as what can we do or not do on this day, right? Because, again, we still have this baggage coming from the Mosaic system of what you can do uh, on this day. And I think we need to be very careful in our thinking. We need to be very gracious in our thinking. And listen, where there is no law, we can't make one. And people do that all the time. They make a law where there is no law. There's no law here. There, there's no biblical rules that says what you can or cannot do on, 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 a, on the Lord's Day. Again, if you're little or if you're older and you remember being back in little, there were certain you could never run. You can't play. You can't go outside. You can't, can't all these rules and regulations. Now, we made our kids on the Lord's Day never run. 
had nothing to do with being legalistic, had everything to do with, because if you run to the car, you're going to fall in that mud puddle, and i got to take you back in the house and change your clothes again, right? So it was a very practical thing for me. But some of you are old enough to know there's all kinds of legal, legalistic regulations on that day. Oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, right? But the Bible doesn't have anything on the Lord's Day. There aren't any rules on what we can do and cannot do. Uh, so I think we need to give people the freedom to do what they believe is right in their own heart and, and uh, not give them a problem over that. Uh, we, we should be accepting of each other's position. Uh, again, we should never turn the Lord's Day into some kind of legalistic day of worship where you can do these things and can't do these things, and if you do these things, then you're not very spiritual, etc., and so forth. That, that's just not right. Uh, however, I do think that, uh, that primarily the Lord's Day should be set aside for the worship of Christ. That's the pattern you see. And, and again, we should be cautious about adding things to the Lord's Day. Uh, society obviously around us has absolutely no reverence for the Lord's Day whatsoever. Now again, if you're old enough, you remember that nothing happened on a Sunday, right? Uh, everything was closed, businesses were closed, etc. That doesn't happen anymore. Everything's open. And, and, and what's really bad, and I've talked to some young parents about this, is that more commonly you're seeing more and more youth athletic activities that are being crammed into Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon, which is putting the children and their parents at a at a, uh, a disadvantage because they, they have a responsibility to primarily lead their kids and their children in worship, the worship of the Lord. But now all this pressure is being put upon them. You've got to be in this athletic activity. Now, does that mean that you can never uh, attend any kind of athletic, athletic uh, uh, event on a Sunday? I, I don't think so. And again, different people have dealt with that, and we've dealt with it different ways depending on the situation and circumstance in our kids' lives as they're all involved in athletics. I think the principle is that there should be a regular pattern of practice to gather, to, gay, to gather together with God's people and worship the Lord on the day that he has set aside, the day that he has set aside for the worship of him. Now, on the other hand, what do you do if you got a job on that day? Well, then I think you should work your job, do a great job on that day, and to the glory of God, the glory of Christ. And then you should try to gather together with God's people on, on some other day and have, try to have a, a corporate worship with them. I think it's best if you don't have to work up on you have to work on Sundays, but some of us work every single Sunday. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Did you ever think about that? It just kind of comes with the territory, right? Uh, so if you have a job on Sunday, maybe you consider getting a different job, which we won't go there with that one, right? Uh, <laughs> decide whether or not you want to keep the job, uh, and but if you keep the job, do it the best you can for the for the glory of Christ. Now. Again, some people get very legalistic on this. You should never work on Sundays. Well, let me ask you a question. Aren't you glad if you're uh, on Sunday then you have a, a loved one, a child that stumbles and falls and needs like 17 stitches? Aren't you glad that there's somebody that you can take that person to, your child to, on Sunday that can sew them up? Because some people are working on Sundays, and we have quite a few uh, uh, nurses in, in the building that work every Sunday, and I'm very thankful for them uh, because they do that. So it's just nice to know that there are people that are working who love the Lord on Sunday. They're working because that's when their job requires them. I think the overall principle is we gather together as the church, the body of Christ, to remember and worship Christ, to celebrate him, celebrate his kindness, his grace, his mercy, uh, without any pressures of external pressure, the Mosaic law that would be imposed on this day. And we try to do it best we can on the Lord's day, the first day of the week. Now, let me sum it all up by saying this. Um, again, what you can do and what you can't do. I, everybody has to examine their own heart. Everybody has to uh, examine their own heart and, and ask, is this day, whatever you're doing, is this day centered on Christ? Are, are you delighting in him? Are you giving thanks to him? Is that part of your normal Lord's Day uh, activities? 
because that's what this day is set aside for. And again, I'm going to say something that uh, some people won't like. I think it's the Lord's day. I think it's the Lord's day. Not the Lord's half day. I think it's the Lord's day. Afternoon, it's mine, right? I think it's the Lord's day. I think the whole thing belongs to him. I think that's the principle. So I would encourage you to graciously, and I mean graciously, exhort, encourage your brothers and sisters in the body who don't regularly make this part of their Sunday routine to regularly be like us who gather on a regular Sunday night to worship because you miss things when you're not here, right? You miss the person of Christ. Now, after saying that, I will say I get it to a certain extent. Sometimes people choose not to come back on a Sunday night. It's a variety of different reasons, and I kind of get that. But I think that thinking needs to be challenged carefully so we think through the issue more biblically and think about it a little more closely. Again, checking our hearts to make sure the decisions we're making are not in response to what's best for me, but again, what's best for the, the body of Christ and what is the purpose of this day as the Lord has assembled the, his church together and worship uh, him on this day. So if there's something in your life that perhaps is keeping you uh, from being here on a regular basis on Sunday night, Maybe you ought to think through it a little bit more. Uh, maybe plan your week a little bit better. Um, I, I, I think the body of Christ uh, needs to meet regularly on the Lord's Day morning and evening. Uh, and um, I, I think what you do or don't do, coming back or don't come back, that really is uh, you have to examine your own heart on. Right? Uh, one last thing, probably goes without saying, it's never happened. I've been here 19 years. We'll never have a Sunday, never have a Saturday night service to make things more convenient for people who want to use Sunday as their own day to do whatever they want to do. A lot of people have done that. So the Lord's Day, what is the Lord's Day about? Well, it's Him. It's all about Him. It's the day He chose. It's the day He set apart for Him, the worship of Him, for His people to gather as the body of Christ, to encourage each other to worship together, worship Him, uh, the one who saved our souls. Uh, it, it's a day not filled with fear, not a day filled with law, but a day filled with grace. It, it's not measured by what you do or don't do. It's a day that needs to be evaluated by where your heart is in relationship to the one who gave himself for you. All right, that's it. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we're thankful for this uh, look at the first question. What is the Lord's Day? What's that all about? Why do we worship on, uh, on this day? And we're thankful for your word uh, that points us to Christ. And we're so thankful for the person of Jesus Christ who just um, encourages our heart, obviously, and allows us to come into your presence and has uh, taken away our reproach so that we know you as our Father in heaven, not as our judge. We're thankful for that. Thankful for grace and mercy and uh, uh, the kindness that you show us. Thank you for a great day of worship. It's been an interesting day, but a great day of worship. We just love you and so appreciative of your kindness to us. Help us again to live in a manner that is pleasing to you as lights in a dark world. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.